End Times. That's Norman here, and we are talking about a book called The Culmination of All Things with Andrew Harrison, and we're continuing our discussion about the beginning of the birth pains, the things that we see nowadays, and we know a little bit from history. So we're on the fairly safe ground of what we're experiencing, as opposed to the foggy ground of what might be just over the hill. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I suppose in a way within the flame team we all feel strongly about is to keep a focus upon Jerusalem and upon Israel. Mm-hmm. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's something that your book reinforces, Andrew, isn't it? Yeah. When we look at Old Testament prophecies, prophesying about Jesus who came 2,000 years ago and fulfilled those prophecies, We accepted those Old Testament prophecies literally, and they were literally fulfilled in Jesus. And there are prophecies Jesus spoke about that happened shortly after he died that have been literally fulfilled. And so any prophecy about the end times we need to accept as literal unless it clearly states that this is symbolic or this is a sign. The Bible is full about prophecies about Jerusalem and what will happen in the future. And one of those things is the temple. The Bible makes it very clear that in the future, our future, the temple will exist because it states two things. One, it mentions that the abomination of desolation will be set up within it. There have been several fulfillments of that through history, even before Jesus mentioned it in the New Testament. It's as though this is going to happen again. And something will be set up within the temple, the Jewish temple. And if we're tempted to think, oh, that's all been fulfilled in the past, then we read in Thessalonians that the Antichrist, called the man of lawlessness, he has various names, will sit in the Jewish temple and proclaim himself to be God. So without a shadow of a doubt, we know that the Jewish temple will be rebuilt. Whether that's built by Christian Jews or whether that's just built by the Jewish people, whether it's built sponsored by other governments with their intervention, whether it's just totally the Jewish nation that brings that about, we don't know. It doesn't say that. But we do know there will be a temple. And in my studies of the scripture, it appears that this temple will be in existence before Jesus comes again. With all prophecy, it's very difficult to set rigid dates and times and chronology. There is some debate about chronology if it doesn't make it absolutely clear in the prophecies. So I wouldn't rely on thinking, oh, Jesus won't come back till the temple's built anyway, so I'll just do whatever I like. But we do know for absolute certain that the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. When you say Jerusalem, do you know it will be physically within the defined area that is shown on the map to be Jerusalem? And also, do we know that the temple will be a structure that's big and built out of stone and a little bit like Westminster Abbey type of thing? Do we know 
those two things or is there a little bit of uncertainty in what the Bible says about it? Well, it's very interesting. If you take my approach to Ezekiel, Ezekiel has actual building instructions for a Jewish temple that has not yet been built. And I personally would accept that as something that will be built physically in the future. And it would be interesting to see if the next temple will be built along those lines. In regard to the temple that will come into existence before Jesus returns, whether that will follow the book of Ezekiel's design or whether that is for a future date, I don't know. But certainly if the abomination of desolation is set up in the future temple, would that render the temple useless and then they would have to rebuild it? So there is absolutely no certainty as to what design the next Jewish temple will take. And the Bible doesn't specifically say at this point in history where the temple will be built. But certainly in regard to the future, if, like me, you believe in the millennial reign of Christ and the existence of the temple at that time, there is a very well-defined structure within the city of Jerusalem and the location of the temple. And it will be a much larger area within Israel than we imagine now. So that is likely, from what I can see from Ezekiel, is going to follow Ezekiel's design. But like I say, the temple that's going to come next, we don't know what the design is like, we don't know what it's made out of, we don't know whether the sacrificial system is going to be the same as the previous one, we don't know whether the Jews will adapt the sacrificial system to fit in with what's available now, and we don't know to what extent Christians will be involved in this. So a lot of don't knows. When you say the abomination of desolation, it's quite a large number of letters to get your mouth around for a start. But what on earth does that really mean? Well, we know in the past there have been a couple of times in history when, because this was also prophesied in Daniel, not only by Jesus. And so before Jesus' incarnation, there were a couple of possible fulfillments of this, and it involved an altar being set up, a pagan altar being set up within the temple. So in regard to the future one, what I've done in my novel, As Time Approaches, which is the first novel in a series, Connect Me Nation of All Things, in that novel, The Abomination of Desolation, and this is just my guesswork and just me making this up, is an idol, and this idol is shaped into the body of a human being, and there's a snake involved and there's horns involved, elements that can be identified by different religions. And in my novel, I'm implying that the nations of the world put Israel under pressure to have this set up to make Israel more inclusive of other religions and not to be biased. And so the law required them to allow this to occur. But of course the Jews were horrified because that ruined their temple for worship of the one true God as far as they were concerned. So this is just a possibility of many, many possibilities. But we know that the temple will be affected by the presence of this object, or whatever it is, and whether it involves a process of worship, whether it involves a computer system even. It could be anything, something that desecrates the temple and desecrates the Jewish religion. I wish we'd all been ready 
And this brings up the whole subject of inclusivity. Now, inclusivity today encourages all religions to work together, religions to pray together. And our state church even encourages a lot of this stuff for religions to get together as though they're all brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters in that we're all human, we've all descended from Adam, but we're not brothers and sisters spiritually. And we can't force different religions to come together because you can't worship Muhammad and Jesus. There's only one way, as you've stated before, Norman, there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. I was secretary of Churches Together in Wirral for many years and have encouraged Churches Together to be Churches Together. When I inherited that role and was given a lot of documents and lists, I noticed the other church corner of the information. Because Churches Together in England does actually work ecumenically. It does actually embrace other religions. Unitarians, Christian Science, Buddhist, Hindu, etc., etc., I had difficulties with that, being an evangelical, and so I completely ignored it and just didn't do anything with regards to that corner. I got on with all of the other stuff, which was plenty to do. And it was interesting that nobody on Wirral really challenged me, and nobody on Wirral put in front of me the other bits that I needed to get on with, apart from one or two services that people came up with where in an Anglican church they would invite other people from other denominations. And I used to just completely ignore it and uh, sit separate from it. But it always used to seem very strange to me for people who believed in some other God to be actually saying prayers and incantations to their other God in a church or a cathedral which was dedicated to the one God. We pray in our churches to the one God that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And we have all the bits and pieces around about us, worshipping that one God. And I stick to, there is one God, one way, Jesus Christ. People used to put it in a shout as we used to walk around the streets, one way, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember March for Jesus. Yeah, the Make Way Marches. We were in Birmingham at the time, and we went along with a really huge one through Birmingham. Yes. And also in Scarborough. We were part of a couple there as well. Uh-huh. So, yes, I organised a couple in uh, Morton on Wirral, and we also got involved with another one which trundled through the streets of Birkenhead. Mm. And I think we actually went down on a train to London and got involved with a big London one. Mm. I would hope that Christians are still able to do that sort of thing if somebody feels that God taps them on the shoulder and says, how about it? I do feel, actually, when I see gay pride marches going on, it would be rather nice to have a little bit of Christian pride. Mm. Yeah. We shouldn't underestimate demonic influence. I've done a lot of research among people who practice alternative therapies or people who have New Age beliefs, And as I've gone around speaking to people, sometimes I've had a very clear sense of a demonic link. And when I did research some decades ago now, I remember the life force was like a connecting link between all of these things. And when I was doing these interviews, I would ask them how they defined the life force. And all of these alternative therapies believed in this life force, whether it's 
yoga, whether it's um, Reiki or acupuncture, they all believed in this life force. And when I asked them to define it, they differed in opinion almost uniquely to each practitioner. But nobody could say exactly what it definitely was. And when I came away from those meetings and that research, or from when I was witnessing to Jehovah Witnesses or witnessing to Mormons, I might come away with this feeling of an uncleanness around me. Not that I had a problem with the people I was talking to, but this was a spiritual thing with which they were linked and you'd come away in a sense, so I'd have to do a lot of prayer. I'd also get people to pray for me before I go. And I think when children are encouraged to go into an Islamic mosque, for example, part of their education, and then they have to take the shoes off and they have to enact doing prayers as Muslims would do, I don't think you can underestimate the demonic presence that you can bring away from those situations, this kind of false worship. And it's the same with idols. If you're linked with or if you're present with somebody who is worshipping an idol or worshipping another god, but you're in demonic territory, and I think we need to be discerning when it comes to inclusivity. So if we're meeting with other Christian church denominations within which the doctrine is very, very sound, I think that's absolutely fine. And it's all down to who the individual Christian is and what their personal persuasions are. But if we're including Christadelphians into that or Mormons into that or Jehovah Witnesses who wouldn't, wouldn't come into it, but if we're including those, you're going to come across a power clash and it's not going to work in a positive direction. Yes, interesting, your experiences. I've only had a few limited experiences, but I understand and go along with the feeling unclean, wanting to wander around in the fresh air and praise God. Hmm. <laughs> 